Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got stories about a bad camera and a rad board. We expect our phones to do a lot, and Note 20 cameras are designed to live up to these high expectations. They come with one camera on the front and three in the back, ultra-wide, wide, and telephoto. You can get sharp pictures even when the subject is far away and crisp shots in low light. It's the biggest leap in low light photography in a galaxy. When Samsung announced the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra with its spiffy new laser autofocus, InputMag.com Guides editor Evan Rogers figured it was a good bet to buy one. But he was sorely disappointed with the device's camera system. It's a problem, he writes, that stems from Samsung's entire imaging philosophy. Here's Evan reading an excerpt from his piece. Now, I acknowledge that photography is subjective, but there are two things I know to be true. The pictures I'm getting out of the Note 20 Ultra are in many ways worse than the ones that I got out of the Galaxy S9 Plus, and that no matter how much of a Samsung fan you are, surely you can agree that there is a line where images are so heavily processed that they don't look better, they just look worse. I think that Samsung has crossed that line. Welcome back to the show, Evan. Thanks. First of all, you should log on to InputMag.com and check out Evan's story. There's, you know, some beautiful photography, some less beautiful photography on there. You say the problem arises from Samsung's entire imaging philosophy. What, what is wrong? So there's a couple of factors to consider here, and the first is is that there are a couple of physical limitations for smartphone cameras. I mean, one of them is obviously size. And what Samsung is doing is they're trying to, in a lot of ways, have their cake and eat it too. Uh, On the Note 20 Ultra, the sensor is bigger than a lot of phones, quite a bit bigger than the iPhone, and even bigger than a lot of even the biggest Android phones, right? It's got a 1 over 1.3 inch sensor, which is quite large. And then it's also very high resolution. But... You know, the physical limitation of the camera is that there's no physical shutter and there's no physical aperture. So the camera has literally no ability to regulate the amount of light coming into it. So when I say that Samsung has a problem with its entire imaging philosophy, what I mean by that is is that clearly they've optimized the camera system on the Note 20 Ultra to bias towards good performance in low light. And I think that anybody who has followed smartphone reviews over the past few years knows that reviewers love to fixate on low light because, you know, it's cool. You're essentially defying physics by getting this camera, this tiny camera, to take pictures that are better than what you see with your eyes in low light. And that is neat, but I would argue that you can't or shouldn't give up on, like, bright daytime photography because, you know, people have this sort of fixation on low light. And I think that that's what Samsung has done. In the story, you show shots that you took with your Galaxy S9 Plus with a moment anamorphic lens. What has gone wrong between the S9 Plus and the current phone Samsung is putting out? Setting aside the moment lens for a second. So the moment lens, you know, it changes the shape, but it doesn't fundamentally change very much else about the picture. So setting that aside for a moment, the Galaxy S9 and the Galaxy S10 series both had what Samsung called their dual aperture technology. And that is where Samsung actually put a couple of physical like flaps inside 
the camera module and in scenes with really bright light, the camera would automatically close these two things and limit the amount of light coming in. And that has a few effects. Anybody that knows anything about regular camera photography knows that your lens is its softest when it's wide open, when the aperture is as big as it gets. But when you close the aperture down, like what Samsung was doing, the lens will get a lot sharper. But we're saying it'll let in less light, so it's not something that you can use in low light scenarios. So in the Galaxy S20 and in the, the Galaxy Note 20 series, Samsung dropped this technology, and I think that it's really evident just when you look at the difference between the pictures that I posted in this article. The pictures that I posted from the Galaxy S9 look fantastic because Samsung is able to limit the amount of light coming into the camera, and also because, and you know, maybe this is something that we should talk about, on the Galaxy S9, Samsung was doing much less photo processing. So nowadays, Samsung is doing a lot of what in the industry is called multi-frame HDR. The Pixel does this, the iPhone does this. Basically, it's where the camera takes a bunch of pictures at different exposures, you know, some of them dark, some of them light, and then combines them together to create, you know, one image that has more dynamic range. So I think that probably, you know, I'll, we'll never know what happened behind closed doors at Samsung's, you know, development meetings or whatever. But I would imagine that they decided that they didn't actually need the physical dual aperture technology anymore because they were getting better at doing multi-frame HDR. And at 12 megapixels, you could probably get away with that. But when you bump up the camera to its native 108 megapixel mode, that's when things start to look pretty bad. And when we're talking about a phone that retails for $12.99 and that is in all of its marketing sort of presented as the ultimate camera phone, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect very good performance at the advertised 108 megapixels. But in my experience and what you can actually see in the article is, is that the combination of Samsung's sort of very soft lens, f1.8 lens, and the uh, multi-frame HDR, it just culminates in something that doesn't look good. Samsung's made a lot of choices about the way it does its color processing. You know, I kind of disagree with those from a subjective standpoint. I think that they have actually really regressed in that standpoint. You know, if you look at the S9 pictures, the colors are very good, even in RAW. Whereas on the S20 Ultra, they look very overcooked. And then there's this, what I can only describe as what looks like worms. When you take pictures of natural textures like rocks and the leaves of trees, Samsung's multi-frame HDR, just if you really punch in on it, the 108 megapixel mode, it looks like it's made out of worms or some kind of like AI hallucination. I would encourage anyone listening to this to look at the article and see what I'm talking about. But for the price that you pay for the Note 20 Ultra, I really think that we should be getting a lot better imaging out of this phone. So you provide some words of advice for Samsung, which they may or may not follow. What are some of the things you'd like to see them do with their cameras going forward? So there's a couple of categories. The first category being, I'd really like to see Samsung unlock their cameras so that other app makers can use them. So on Sony's newest Xperia 1-2, Apps can access all three rear cameras at the highest level of accessibility. So you can take RAWs through, any app can take RAWs through all three of Sony's rear cameras. This is similar on the OnePlus 8, actually, where OnePlus has sort of carved out or whitelisted Gcam 
uh, modified port of the Google camera on the Pixel. And it too can use all three cameras on the back of the OnePlus. And what this essentially does is, is you know, I want to say that Samsung is totally free to have make whatever editorial choices about what it thinks makes good pictures that it wants. But it should allow its customers to use third-party apps that can make different editorial choices about what photos look good or allow the user to decide what looks good. So that's one category of thing. I think Samsung just needs to open that up. Other smartphone manufacturers are way ahead of them on that. So I don't think it's a crazy ask. And then also, I, I do think that Samsung has, over time really pushed the way their images look from over sharpening. They're using like a ton of clarity and texture for anyone that doesn't know. These are options that you can set in, you know, applications like Lightroom, the texture, clarity, sharpness, all jacked up to the max saturation really high. You know, some people have said that this is just Samsung being Samsung, but I personally don't think that we should let them off the hook that way. I think there's lots of wiggle room for interpretation with photography, but at a certain point, like I say in the article, it starts to just really not look good. And I think that the Note 20 Ultra sort of fits in that category. And it's even made worse by the fact that this uh, camera made its debut in the Galaxy S20 Ultra back in March. It's not like the company just released it and it still needs to like optimize a few things. It's been on the market for months. The board in the Note 20 Ultra is so similar to the S20 Ultra that... This is not just to, you know, give Samsung a chance. This is what Samsung thinks looks good from this camera. And it's actually so extreme that I am comfortable saying it just looks bad. You can follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Rogers. Now on to today's second story. We're back. We now check out a revolutionary way to get around. This is the ultra-modern electronic skateboard, controlled by a wireless joystick. Remember, even when you're cruising, you need a helmet. The forthcoming Hunter electric skateboard has Tesla-level ambitions. It's an all-aluminum, water-resistant, battery-packing board with custom-designed suspension instead of rigid trucks and tire-like wheels. That combination means better board handling and a nearly $2,000 price tag. InputMag.com news editor Craig Wilson recently wrote about the Hunter board. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. Like a Tesla, a Hunter board is a carefully designed luxury product. Sticking to aluminum means the weight is kept down to 19 pounds and helps enable the frankly insane Revel scooter rivaling top speed of 34 miles an hour. In addition to the 3600 watt motor, there's also regenerative braking, a range of up to 24 miles, and the ability to swap out the 333 watt hour battery, like you would the battery on a GoPro. Welcome back to the show, Craig. Always great to be here, Mark. So how does the Hunter board differ from other electric skateboards? Well, there are a couple of key things, but I guess one of the first ones that jumps out at me is that top speed. 34 miles per hour is the kind of speed that you expect from a full-size scooter. And I mean a Vespa-style scooter, you know, the sort you sit on, not the little sort of push ones, you know, that you can rent from the likes of Bird or those sorts of companies. So that top speed for a skateboard is kind of 
insane. You know, I mean, you could really seriously hurt yourself if you don't know what you're doing. But the other big difference with this one is that most skateboards get their sort of suspension or the little bit of suspension that they have from the bounciness of the board. You know, there's a bit of bend from the usually wooden top part while the trucks and the wheels are incredibly rigid. With the Hunter board, they've gone the other way around. So you've got machined aluminum for the board and there's no given that at all but what they've done is put suspension on each wheel so the result of that is that you can get better sort of turning angles but also you should be able to get up towards that crazy top speed without the kind of speed wobbles you'd normally get so from what i gather from your piece this is also supposed to handle quite well on say like uh, new york city streetscape Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, our colleague um, Evan Rogers will tell you that he thinks that you shouldn't ride on New York streets on anything that doesn't have suspension, including in terms of bicycles. I'm a little more forgiving. I think bikes are okay because you've got your legs to use as suspension. But I've been riding a push electric scooter of the sort of bird sort. And, you know, the holes and the dings and things, you really sort of feel it in your ankles. And I haven't had the pleasure of riding many electric skateboards around the city yet, but I hope to get to test those in the sort of of weeks and months to come. And, you know, I'd be a little nervous. The the surface is not sort of great for it. And I think without the kind of suspension that they're putting in the Hunter board, it's got to be a real sort of more than a massage, a real shakeup for your joints. And I'm not sure how pleasant it would be over, over long distances. So this kind of thing is welcome, but it also means that you could ride it probably on dirt trails or get out in the country with it, which is something that I definitely wouldn't want to try with a conventional electric skateboard. So this board costs almost $2,000. Do you think it'll be worth it? Well, you know, I wondered about how big a market there would be for that sort of thing. And then on the back of the story, I had a couple of people reach out particularly from electric skateboard groups. So as with everything, of course, there is a subculture on the internet that is very into whatever niche product it is you can think of. And in this case, they were very curious about it because the boards that they favor tend to cost in that sort of range. And, you know, to me, that sounds like a lot of money. But then you look around a bit and there are similar products like the One Wheel, for instance, which takes a go-kart size tire and puts it in the middle of a more traditional looking sort of, I guess, skateboard deck. And that sort of ride also retails for the $2,000 range. Now, I guess if you were using this to commute or you were using this you know, really, really often, and it's replacing some other transportation expenses in your life, then perhaps it doesn't seem so unreasonable. And similarly, you know, a lot of the electric bicycles that we've covered on the website, including things like the Dutch Van Moof, which is an electric bicycle packed with cool tech and built-in displays and that sort of thing, those retail for around $2,000 too. So perhaps it's me who just needs to readjust my sense of what these sorts of things ought to cost. So say I do have $2,000 burning a hole in my pocket. How can I get a hold of one of these boards? So you can head to Hunter Board's website and you can express your interest. They're going to start building the boards at the end of September. So if you put your name down and are willing to slap down $100, you can be in the running for one of those first edition boards. Now, they're only going to make 50 of them, and those will start shipping after the bookings have sort of filled up. Thereafter, 100 bucks will secure you one of the production boards they're making next 
next year. And I think that's kind of interesting too, because this sort of pre-order and then build model has been popularized in the transport sector by Tesla, which famously has taken over half a million orders for the Cybertruck, which it hasn't even begun building yet. So I think it's great to see that sort of model trickle down. And of course, the upshot is this gives companies more confidence to build according to demand rather than the financial risks that come with you know, over or under supplying and then being left either with surplus stock or orders that you're unable to fill and the sort of customer sadness that can come with that. You can follow Craig on Twitter at Craig Wilson, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening. 